stargazers, and welcome to 7th House Astrology. I am your host, Sandra Misek. For those of you who are just joining me, well, welcome. I'm glad that you found my podcast, actually, and I'm glad that you're joining me today. So what I do with 7th House Astrology is that I take a particular aspect, whether it be a house or a planet, I'm also going to be getting into angles here pretty soon, um, some different aspects here pretty soon. So we're kind of, we'll be kind of getting a little more technical as episodes advance. But I either take one of those topics or I also pick a topic that is related to relationships and I dive into it more using Sinistry Astrology also known as relationship astrology. If you've also heard of composite charts, I actually do use composite charts or synastry charts in order to read different celebrities' charts on the show or just different charts in general as to what applies to the topic of that particular week. But above all, I also try to answer, and I try, not really... I'm not really the biggest expert when it comes to relationships, but I try using Sinistry Astrology and what we have learned to answer the question of what makes relationships tick, or also just what we have learned about relationships within the week, uh, within the episode that I'm covering within the week. And for those of you who are still joining me, welcome still. I'm glad that you're here. So Before I get to my topic for this week, I actually not only have one transit to cover with you, but as of Friday of last week, there's another transit that's also gone into retrograde. And that other tricky transit is actually that of Mercury. And yes, as you have guessed it, Mercury as of right now, has gone into retrograde. Actually, it was as of Friday the 17th, has gone into retrograde. So it's been a very interesting week, uh, astrologically-wise, in tracking these two planets down. I had also promised last week within my idealism episode to actually follow through and look at the chart of that coworker. Of the coworker who was idealizing me to see what the positions of both Jupiter and Neptune were. And I also had that. I might actually go ahead and explore that along with the topic of this week's episode as we move along. So getting right down to it, Venus retrograde. Well, I think Venus in her retrograde form heard me last week when I said that I had no issues. And actually I kind of felt that Capricorn's energy was actually blunting her energy that week. Well, things have kind of flipped a little bit. The tables have kind of flipped a little bit as of this week. So socially wise, as of this week, I had encountered a couple of situations. Now, here's the irony I encounter a couple social faux pas and social situations outside of a library. But it does seem that Capricorn's shadow side, one of its main shadow sides, is actually coming out right now with Venus retrograde. So whereas Capricorn can be very patient, methodical, and definitely that sign that can really help those of us who procrastinate or don't really get things done until the last minute, it helps us to stay the track, be dutiful, and to really get things done, not only to get things done, but to get things done right and also in a good time. The negative side to Capricorn, however, is one particular drawback is that because Capricorn is ruled by Saturn, And Saturn actually is, it does rule patriarchy. And this I actually found out by Pam Gregory on her YouTube channel. Again, if you've not checked her out on her YouTube channel, 
hop on that because she is it, it I have learned so many things about the generational planets as well as asteroids. She actually gets into the asteroids, but she literally relates current events to astrology and what's going on with the current transits. It's really interesting. It's really awesome. I, I highly recommend you guys uh, check that out. But with Pam Gregory, she had mentioned that Saturn can actually rule the patriarchy. And one way in which I see this with the shadow side of Capricorn is that suddenly they can get a little holier than thou. And sometimes, too, when it comes to planets, too, they can cause a holier than thou attitude. So basically... Either somebody who has Capricorn in their chart can kind of get up on their high horse. They can kind of point down at you and say, you, 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 and you, I need you to do this, or you need to do that, or I overlord that you do this, and I overlord that you do that. Unlike Leo, however, you know, where Leo tries to work with their leadership abilities to where everybody is included. Capricorn definitely has, just like with the patriarchy, an old school, an old world patriarchy in that regard, old world patriarchies separated the masses from those who led. And there was a clear distinction and clear class distinction and class lines with that. Those who led did not associate with plebeians or they did not associate with those who were lower or considered lower than they were. And this is where I can see Capricorn's energy, you know, the shadow side come into play where they get a little holier than thou and they order you around, but you're still beneath them, causing a very hierophantic sort of relationship. How this relates to Venus retrograde, well, it seems that people are still on their high horse. And I mentioned they're still because along with Venus retrograde, we've had a lot of stelliums or a lot of planet clusters outside of Capricorn in the last two years. And I've seen this happen, this holier-than-that attitude happen because of that, you know, because there's a lot of energy outside of Capricorn. But I think with Venus retrograde, the way that it's happening in social situations is that a lot of people feel that they have the knowledge when it comes to the news, particularly when it comes to the Omicron virus of COVID-19. They feel like they have the answers. Everybody else is a uneducated simpleton. And so what had happened outside the library for me was one lady came into this distinction, got up onto her high horse and decided to look down upon me and try to educate me as to what I should be doing in regards to COVID-19. What ended up happening this lady ended up looking like an ass because first and foremost, I had nine books in my hand. I was focused on putting them into the book drop and going on my merry way when it came to my day. So I really did not give her a lot of power when it came to this holier than thou attitude and her education. Secondly, she had mentioned, you know, if you should go into the library and she noticed I was not going into the library. So again, because she was taking a holier-than-thou stance, again, she looked like an ass. And I point this out because, you know, I think with Venus Retrograde, what we can definitely learn, and this is a lesson that can not only benefit us with Venus Retrograde, but also when Venus goes direct. In the social sphere, we are not above anybody. I understand that we all have concerns about COVID-19. I understand that we all have concerns when it comes to our current political climate. But that does not give us the right to overlord other people. And, you know, when it comes down to the COVID-19 virus, I have to argue we've lived with this for two years now. Even though, yes, it's very scary. Yes, it's very unpredictable. And it has been since 2020. We've lived through with this for two years. 
And I kind of feel that when we've lived with this for two years, we have, we should have ways to re, you know, evolve and to have adaptation skills as opposed to devolve and grow into paranoia. And what I'm seeing a lot of with this high horse situation is that there are a lot of people who are still paranoid. And really, I think the two essences of showing compassion and showing kindness can go a long way when it comes to handling the Omicron variant of COVID-19. I know we're all struggling to understand and kind of keep up with CDC guidelines, but, you know, I think having a bit more kindness and compassion towards towards each other and treating each other like human beings as opposed to servants who need to be educated, I think that's going to go a long way to help us with our ills right now. And I feel that that's a big lesson that I think we're all being schooled in with Venus retrograde, societally wise. Now, I had also some personal situations as well, too. So there was one morning I had, I've been having vivid dreams. I don't know about you, stargazers, but I've been having very vivid dreams and I, I can't really explain it. But uh, when it comes to Venus retrograde, there was one morning where I had a bad dream. And then as if on cue, thoughts about my ex's past started streaming in, which is actually very atypical for Venus retrograde. It's either we start to have thoughts of our exes or our exes start showing up on our doorstep. Or worse, we can start showing up on our exes' doorsteps. But when it came to my two exes, there was my first boyfriend and memories of him and what I had wanted to say if I were 18 again, and then my fourth boyfriend and also memories of him and what I wanted, what I had wanted to say if I were 22. So what I usually recommend if you are like me and you've had that sort of run in, that sort of situation, First and foremost, don't go running to your exes and saying what you want to say. Um, don't go running to your exes and begging for forgiveness and trying to go back into the relationship. That is that is so not the answer at this time. A good exercise for introspection and reflection is take a look at why you could be having this fantasy or this thought this recurring thought again. In my case, it was, there was unresolved issues in the regard of what I had wanted to say. I didn't express fully what I had wanted to say when the relationship ended. And that's where I I usually just say, if you have those sort of regrets or you have those sort of situations kind of arising in your thought process, what I did was that I just, I, I imagined myself being with my first boyfriend. And then I imagined myself very quietly saying exactly the things that I had wanted to say when I was 18. Namely that, you know, he was a coward for leaving me and not even giving me a proper breakup. And I just moved on, that he just cheated in front of my eyes. In fact, the, the memory was where we were at Olive Garden and he was cheating with the waitress right in front of me. Um, I wanted to school him about that. And in my mind, I could do that safely and just very quietly. And then, of course, once you get to do that, just letting it go is also the important situation. In my case of letting it go, it was, hey, I'm in the here, I'm in the now, that was then, that happened then, here we are now, we have a fresh start, not only with life, but also with relationships. The beauty of this exercise, though, stargazers, is that you can adapt it to however it works for you. So if writing a letter that you want to burn later might work for you that would be a good option. If visualizing the situation works for you, as long as you have a clear end to that visual, 
that's always very good too. Or just imagining what you would say to this person, that's also really awesome as well too. So I just thought I would share that as what I had seen. Um, that's one exercise that can help you to reconnect within and to really handle that reconnection, really handle that past situation that just crops up. And that's actually very normal for retrograde planets as well, too. Just having past people show up or past situations crop up when it comes to your mind space. Now for Mercury retrograde, so it is outside of Aquarius right now. So with Mercury retrograde, that obviously causes issues with communication, uh, issues with listening, actually sometimes all the above in some situations, also issues with technology or man-made items. Things that were made out of a mental space are usually under the domain of Mercury retrograde and usually under the victim, so I'd like to say, of Mercury retrograde. But being outside of Aquarius, what I would see with Mercury is that, you know, with, when it's retrograde form, is that Aquarius is also known as the sign of being the rebel, of being the awakener in the Zodiac. They can also be considered the oddballs of the Zodiac sometimes because of their independence. But also to the humanitarian as well as the scientist. You know, Aquarians can be very human and very warm and very much dedicated to a cause, but they can also be very logical, almost to the point of scientific by other points, kind of throwing people off a little bit here and there. But I think with Mercury retrograde, some issues when it comes down to independence, your own independence, what that looks like, I think are going to be coming into play with this transit. I also think that humanitarian causes will be coming into play and will be coming into question under this transit as well, too. So um, people's thoughts about these two areas may be a little murky. What I always say is, again, you know, retrograde planets help you to dig deep within, and it really helps you to kind of dig deep within and see what those definitions are for yourself when it comes to those issues. But that's my prediction since Mercury is very early in retrograde. It's not really affecting me too much. I think I, I ended up just having a dream about a coworker overtaking everything that related to my own insecurities about my own life. So I feel like that might have been Mercury retrograde instigated, but Again, it was a way for me to go within and settle some of those insecurities about what's going on in my life and what exactly are those insecurities and kind of getting a basic grasp. Some of it was due to my looks. Some of it was due to, you know, how I feel like my body and my looks are just changing. So I'm working on inner beauty as well as confidence at this point. But again, um, even though we have two retrograde planets and that makes everything very tough, feel free, stargazers, especially if you feel like it's kind of rough, like you're foggy headed, as well as you're having some relationship issues outside of you. Again, this is a great opportunity to look within and to see what might be the issue that's really at play, what might be an underlying issue that could be causing some of the outer issues um, outside of you and to really resolve that and, or if not to resolve that, at least get a start on it so that it can be resolved when Mercury and Venus go direct. But yeah, this has been a fun time astrologically. I'm just, I just have to say. All right. Now on to this week's topic. So for this week, I had actually decided our topic would be on the sixth house. So I moved back into the houses because we only have a handful of houses left. Now, stargazers, whereas with the 10th and the 5th houses, we were discovering and also the ascendant, the descendant, the 7th house, and part of the first house as well, too. 
while well, we had decided that those were like the beginnings of the relationship, while well, we had explored the houses that are really like the nuts and bolts. So again, the first house was part of that. The third house was definitely a part of that. The fourth house was. Now we're kind of moving into some houses and territories that are more like the icebreakers of relationships. Some people might say, oh, this looks like it's the end cycle of relationships. And I'm actually hesitant to say end because, you know, not all relationships end with these houses being intact and not all relationships go through an end, so to speak. I feel um, they're more compromises or these houses that really show where we really need to compromise and where things may not always be so sunshine, fair weather, and blue skies. So getting into the sixth house, well, I can tell you I have had some personal schooling with that particular house since 2019, since both Pluto and Saturn decided to move into that house uh, in 2019. But it's it hasn't just been those two. As I mentioned earlier, in 2020, a year later, we had a stellium. And a stellium, basically, stargazers, is a cluster of planets one to five degrees apart that happen outside of a particular sign. In 2020, we had a, I think we had like five planets outside of Capricorn, which was incredible. And as I mentioned earlier, there was a holier than thou attitude that kind of resonated from that. There was also a lot of dedication, perseverance, and hard work that came from a lot of people at that time as well. So definite Capricorn energy. But where this seemed to arise for me was in issues of health, which is one first association in general astrology as the sixth house. For me, my health actually took a backslide. First, it was my ankle. And I actually had not only tendonitis of my perineal tendon, but also a sprained ankle at that due to my job at the time. And also just due to the fact that I pushed limitations, physical limitations a lot. So let's just say with Saturn being in that sixth house, I was schooled on physical limitations, like when I should stop, how much I should do. But as time has progressed, um, there have been other situations that have arisen. And again, it always has to deal with you know, perspectives on life. If I feel like I have a very frivolous perspective on life, the health issue seems to come up, which to me is like Saturn's way of tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, life could be worse. And guess what? It already is. So uh, uh, definitely I've had some challenges since 2019 and definitely some hurdles and some resolutions. Resolutions. And then also I just feel like I've been schooled when it comes to health. But another general association that I feel like I've gotten a personal schooling with is that of getting along with coworkers. Well, with Pluto being outside my sixth house, I remembered I was working at Cost Cutters when it first decided to move there in 2019. And when I was working at this previous position as a stylist, I remembered I had wanted to move on. I wanted to leave and my supervisor would not let me. My supervisor undervalued me, but by the same token, would not let me go. It was a very interesting dichotomy and a very interesting power play and struggle, which is very indicative of Pluto in that house. What I had to do, I had to break free. And as much as I hate to, you know, advocate for that, or I hate to say this, but I had to literally quit from that position to move forward in my career. And I had to break free. And I did. And once I did, once I broke free, it was very liberating. But yes, that gen, that second general association with the sixth house is how we get along with coworkers. And of course, planetary transits, as well as any sort of planets that are in your particular house can affect that. And also any sort of the sign that rules that house can really affect that as well. 
Many astrologers like to focus on the third aspect of the sixth house, which unfortunately I didn't get personal schooling with, and I felt like I really could have, but above and beyond all, it, it is also known as the house of service. And a lot of astrologers like to focus on this aspect because they like to focus on the selflessness of the sixth house and how people feel more inspired to move away from themselves. So like the first to the fourth house are really all about yourself and how you relate to yourself. But then once we're coming up to the fifth and the sixth houses, it's starting to move away from the self and more towards others as well too, which is very interesting. And definitely that is, you know, with the house of service, that's definitely very indicative of the sixth house. And with that said, it's a house of maturity, or it's one of those houses of maturity as well. Rachel Stewart Haas adds that our schedules, our routines are also ruled under the sixth house, as well as what, so this was very interesting to me, what types of coworkers we deal with when it comes to work. So who do we attract? That really piqued my interest, Stargazers, because I don't know about you, but whenever I'm at work, I tend to always have a coworker who is a power monger and a social climber. They're always in the cubicle next to me. They're always sitting next to me. They're always working with me. I'm always scheduled with them. And I, I really couldn't figure out why, but you know, with my sixth house being in Capricorn, that makes a lot of sense because Capricorn is all about advancing forward in your career, you know, sometimes to the detriment of others, but more the, the, um, beneficial side of it is advancing in your career or advancing in your life as well. Having that motivation to advance in your life. And it seems like I tend to attract the, the sort of coworkers in essence. But you know, if you should happen to have like say cancer in the sixth house, that would mean you would attract a lot of coworkers who are very maternal, who are very caring, who are very nurturing, or might focus more on the philanthropic sides of an organization, you know, kind of in similar line where you would, but you know, they might be exacerbated in full. Or with Le with Leo, it would be leadership, those who really are interested in leadership opportunities. And again, you know, it doesn't mean that you're not interested. It just means that you might have a little bit of an interest in that area, but it seems like your coworkers have an exacerbated interest in that area. So it's very interesting, like how astrology, how our astrological charts affect everybody else in an enclosed environment especially in an enclosed environment. It's, it's just, um, it, it, it kind of explains a lot. Rachel Stewart Haas also goes on to mention that when it comes to a lot of her great yoga teachers and massage therapists, they have a lot of strong connections to this house and a lot of like strong planets in this house, as well as a great sign that rules it. My guess is I would say that somebody who has a sixth house in Virgo would be a great bet with the strong sixth house inclination and possibly planets that are, that have, or actually possibly planets like if um, somebody has Venus in the sixth house or somebody has their sun there, or if they have like say Mercury there or even Neptune in that sign. Um, those, I think those are great placements for that, um, partic those particular planets, but I think that that's would, um, indicate the great yoga teachers and the massage therapists. But again, it can always vary depending on everyone's chart. And it was just a very interest. It was just a very interesting bit of information that I felt was really well conveyed. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. It's like, okay, Sandra, this is all and well and all wonderful when it comes to general astrology, and it's very interesting. But what about synastry? What about relationships? Well, when it comes to synastry, I think when it comes down to health, how your partner reacts to health issues 
is really a very important aspect of this house. And I think that that really is one point where that is an icebreaker. You know, say that you have very robust health, but then suddenly, kind of like what I had undergone when I was, you know, this it was within the last month when I was working, the same coworker who was idealizing me and flirting with me had also mentioned that I was having a really bad streak when it came to health. And uh, what he ended up saying to me was, oh my God, that's terrible. I'm just going to pray for you. Meaning like you're a bad person suddenly for becoming ill, which I thought was kind of a selfish statement as well as it, it was kind of a childish statement because again, I was really going through some really inward heavy issues and I really could have used the support. But that to me is a great example of an icebreaker. You know, somebody who doesn't really respond. It's like, say you get really sick and you really could use somebody, you really could use their support and say that significant other is hightailing out the door because you're interfering with their social life. That's an icebreaker. And that definitely, I think, is something that is related to synastry. I think also on the other end, say that you or your partner falls ill and you're caring for that person or the other person is caring for you and asking how you're doing and making sure they're kind of following up with you. You know, so instead of making value judgments like, oh, I'll pray for you, you're suddenly a bad person. Instead of saying that, it's more like, you know what, I've noticed you've come onto some hard times. Could I, could I help you? Or what can I do to help you? That would also like make the relationship as well too. So I think one of those make and break matters or those icebreakers is the health issues. And we all come onto, just as we come onto some hard times financially, we can come onto some hard times with health. The other situation that arose for me was when it comes down to schedules and routines. In relationships, there is always, well, I don't want to say there is always, but in relationships, we have situations where one person in the relationship is extremely organized. That person maintains the calendar. They maintain the social contacts. They notify you of the social contacts. They give you daily briefings about what's going on in life. Whereas the other partner, they might appreciate that organization. Again, it it always depends on the, the sixth house and how well alignment they are. If there are planets there, how well in alignment they are. Because there can be relationships where if somebody has a schedule, they're the schedule maker, they can remind their significant other of things and that significant other could have cause to be resentful because, again, there's a clash between what it means to be organized or what it means to be, you know, on top of things. Um, There are some relationships where they can't stand planners. They can't stand everything being organized at the final and last minute. And so they might be a little more carefree. Some relationships might be a combination of the two. And again, it's just dependent upon, you know, the two partners and how well aligned they are. And again, um, a discussion on, you know, organization and how that plays, how that factors into the relationship is usually a good place to start when it comes to misalignments. But I think it's how organized we are in relationships The one point that John Townley seems to actually focus on is that of service. And he brings up a couple of interesting and really valid points when it comes to this house. So according to John Townley, some of the problems that occur with the sixth house is that it can be a factor, or he mentions it's a factor where there can be inequality, And the reason why he mentions this is that um, where service is usually seen as a fundamental good thing, both in Eastern and Western society, but within Western society, it is also that thing that can demarcate a relationship and cause it to 
go from a egalitarian relationship to a hierophantic relationship. Usually the person who uh, is of service is equated with a lower rank in the relationship, whereas the person who is not of service is equated with a higher rank in the relationship. In fact, with the moon being in the sixth house, John Townley warns of somebody who is so someone with uh, their moon in the sixth house, naturally their inward self would be very naturally inclined to serving and being of service to their partner as well as everyone around them. What that can also mean is that that person can become emotionally dependent on who is the boss in the relationship and how to serve the boss in the relationship, which can be very dangerous and can cause that hierophantic or unequal situation as well. Another problem that he mentions is that the person who comes of service in the relationship can also, because the relationship is already unequal or it's already perceived as being unequal, the person who's serving can actually become a martyr in the situation. So either they can become a martyr to gain power in the relationship and feel a little more equal to their partner, or they just have a very unhealthy view of service. You know, service being that, hey, you better, you know, I'm ser- I'm cooking the meals, I'm caring for you, I'm caring for the kids, you better understand that, or I'm going to wield this over your head like a weapon. And sometimes they do wield it over the head like a weapon. I've actually been in line of this situation. And, and Stargazers, I'm so sorry that this episode is all about me. I promise I will, it, it, will, it will get to be about other people sooner or later. But I have had this sort of situation knowing that a certain relative of mine has her moon in her sixth house, being also in Virgo. So definitely she loves to be of help. And I think along with her moon or her son in Libra, she loves to be of help. She loves to be of service. She loves to help out her family. But there have been times where in the past, if I, especially when I was in school, there are times where she would come up to me and it's like, well, you don't do this. You don't do that. And it, it turned into a personal attack. Or there were some days where it turned into a joy kill sort of situation because it kind of was launched out of nowhere. And I kind of feel that that is what those who are more inclined to being of service, that's where I feel, you know, the martyrdom situation can come into play where, you know, again, it's either to try to be more equal Or, you know, again, I think also to try to be more equal, they get that, you know, you better recognize me or else because I don't feel recognized. And that can definitely end a relationship. It's definitely an icebreaker for for sure. I know on the days in which I experienced this, not only was it a joy kill, but I felt like it was an unnecessary attack. Sometimes it also felt like a psychic attack as well, too. And it can feel that way with others as well. So two things that John Townley mentions in order to provide the salve is that for those who love to be of service, you know, hats off to you. Just make sure that your service does not have an expectation associated with it. When you're expecting service, you know, like if you're serving somebody or you feel as though you are serving somebody, because sometimes when it comes down to service, it's not always clear between two partners. The issue with that is the sixth house looks very different between two people alone. Not like, for instance, when it comes to a certain relative with her moon being in her sixth house and that being ruled by Virgo, well, that's very different from my sixth house, which is ruled by Capricorn. 
You know, we just, we value service differently. We value how we share love. We value selflessness very differently. Whereas Virgo is very readily quick to step up and step in and wanting to step in as much as possible. Capricorn is more focused with how can I provide? And I feel like that's where my focus tends to go. When I tend to serve, it's I'm providing for someone else. I'm paying the rent or I'm paying the utilities or I'm paying whatever it is I need to pay in order to help keep my family afloat or my family together and my family intact. So I think um, when it comes to those, so getting back to John Townley's point again, when it comes to those who love selflessness and who loves to serve, Knowing that everybody's sixth house looks differently and knowing that um, everybody values selflessness at different levels is helpful. But also, you know, stop it with the self-sacrifice is what he states. And mainly make the service, you know, kind of make the service as something that you want to do as opposed to expecting a reward in return. Because when you want to expect a reward in return, you're never going to get it. That's where you set yourself up for failure. And the biggest reason for why, as we mentioned earlier, is because everyone's houses, they look different. They're not like you when it comes to selflessness. They're not going to appreciate it in the self way as you expect them to. And so just to give, just to give to give unconditionally with no end game is a big salve to this situation and to this house. The second thing is you might, you know, when it comes to the icebreakers, when it comes to the sixth house, you might want to sit down with your partner. And, you know, when you start to notice that one person is serving a lot, the other person is just kind of receiving a lot of the time. Speaking with your partner as to what service or giving in the relationship means can be very insightful and not just you need to do this, you need to do that. No, it, that's not the point of the conversation. The point of the conversation is to find out, you know, how each person values service or how each person gives in the relationship and how to respect that in each other. So like with the example above with my relative, with my relative, whenever she'd joy kill my day and it felt like a psychic attack, whenever she'd start in with the self martyrdom, when we would sit down and we would talk by her insistence or per her, her insistence, there would be times where I would point out that, you know, you tend to just jump in, you tend to give these things are of your decision. I don't order you to do these things. And also, you know, to have that conversation of what selflessness means. Like for me, it doesn't mean doing the dishes. Doing the dishes is like kind of an everyday chore. For me, it doesn't mean cooking or cleaning. For me, it doesn't mean all these things that it means to my my, um, relative. And so to gain that perspective of what it means can, I think that can open up doors for both partners. It can open up doors for all relationships. And again, uh, like I said, the, the end game is not, you should do this. You should do that. You should be less selfish. No, it's more like, okay, so your act of self-sacrifice is providing. How can I help you? to provide or your act of service is to cook and clean and to show your love that way. How can I help you to provide there? Or in other cases too, like if somebody has Gemini in the sixth house, their idea of giving would be of communication. So how to foster that as opposed to somebody who has cancer in that same house you know, they would want to nurture and really emotionally care for somebody. How can we foster that? How can we let that bloom? Whereas where you feel it's being crushed. 
So, Stargazers, I'm actually going to flip the script, so to speak, and I'm going to actually take a look at a sample chart when it comes down to the sixth house. I think when it comes down to the coworker who was idealizing me, I wanted to maybe save that for last um, in regards to last week's episode when it came to idealize, you know, idealizing. So I'll definitely um, take a look at that as well towards the end. But I'm going to actually take a look at the chart of Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson at this time. Since I just feel like they're an ideal power couple, everyone's very familiar with them. Everyone's very familiar with Tom Hanks' work as well as Rita Wilson. If not, you kind of recognize the two of them from red carpet events and, you know, just from Hollywood events. But in looking at each individual's sixth house and what's going on, so I'm going to start with Mr. Hanks. So with his sixth house, which what is very interesting is that he actually has Mars. And not only is Mars in the sixth house, it's kind of, it is coming into conjunction with his descendant. So what that usually means is when it comes down to service, he is front and center. When it comes down to relationships with coworkers, traditionally when it comes to Mars being in the sixth house and relationship with coworkers, sometimes it can be kind of, you know, bed of nails because mainly this individual, when it comes to Mars, Mars is very primordial energy. It's pushing the individual forward. It's willpower. And so what I would see with Mr. Hanks is that when he's on set, he's very determined when it comes to his roles, he wants to power through his roles. He wants to make sure that the momentum, the, you know, the emotion that needs to be conveyed within the scene is being captured. And that, you know, once he gets it, once he gets that character, he wants to push it through. And sometimes his coworkers may be really on board with that and might admire him for having that stamina to really push through. Other coworkers may have a different viewpoint, and so that can that can cause a little bit of friction on the set. The other thing that that strikes me about Mr. Hanks when it comes to coworkers is that, or the relationship of coworkers and being on set, Mars being in the sixth house to me indicates a lot of energy. So when it comes to those late night hours and those you know all nighters to get the the right scene shot and also the right, you know, within movie productions, especially towards the end, usually um, there are all-nighters that are pulled. What I see with Mr. Hanks is that he's able to push on through. He has no trouble at all with that schedule, whereas some actors might have some trouble keeping up with that. That might exhaust them. With the descendant, so if you remember in the descendant episode, that's how we attract, or like actually it's not how we attract, it's who we attract. So really um, having Mars in that descendant center means he was, and still is, very attractive, a very attractive man, very, very magnetic. With his descendant being in Pisces, it's very probable that he attracts a lot of people who are very caring and also who can be very imaginative as well, whether it be within friendship circles or whether it be in other relationships as well. And just having that, that Mars placement just, just makes him very, very dynamic and very magnetic and alluring as well. So in regards to Rita Wilson's chart, um, Mr. Hanks' sixth house actually overlaps Rita Wilson's third house. So what I see here is where service meets communication. And for Mr. Hanks, where he really um, tries in the, in the relationship, he really focuses on service and he's really front and center when it comes to taking care of his family. Again, it's met with Rita Wilson's ability to communicate when it comes to those matters. What's also interesting is that her Mars placement is right in conjunction with his Mars placement. Now, two things can result with this in regards to service and really being there for your family, really being there for your loved ones. 
again, um, it can come down to a battle of wills at times when it comes to two Mars placements being outside and in conjunction with each other. So while Mr. Hanks can sometimes be very front and center in caring for his family, there might be, uh, I think it's fair to say that Rita Wilson would be very front and center and very direct when it comes to what needs to be done. So when it comes to communicating what needs to be done, sometimes I think that that can cause resentment with Mr. Hanks in the regard that Rita Wilson is willing to communicate what needs to be done, but might not always necessarily be the one to do the thing that needs to be taken care of. So like, for instance, the children need to be um, dropped off at school with their lunches in hand. Rita Wilson might be the one to say, hey, you know, Tom, the kids need to have more fruits and vegetables in their, their lunches while Mr. Hanks is, you know, putting together their lunches with the fact that she might have that communication added to it that's where Mr. Hanks would probably be a little bit resentful in the regard of, oh, why didn't you tell me this sooner? Or, oh, you don't think I pack nice lunches? Or, oh, you know, this, this, why, why wasn't this mentioned sooner rather than like right now? Because I was going to take great care of provide, you know, putting this child's favorite drink in this bag or this child's favorite snack in that bag. And how could you wait until now? Are you just being cruel to me? And again, I, I just feel like it, it can come into a domination of willpower. I, I mean, Rita Wilson could respond with, you know, you, I tried to mention this, you wouldn't listen, so on and so forth. What I find with two uh, Mars placements is also the other thing I find with two Mars placements when it comes to either overlapping someone's sixth house or someone's sixth house is overlapping the third house is that both persons may feel that it's up to the other person to provide the service because somehow they feel they have other obligations. They're too busy. And that also might be another situation where who's packing the children's lunches for school could be an issue of debate on, on a given morning. What I usually recommend when it comes to two Mars placements in conjunction, because this is definitely like battle willpower, it can also enhance sex, the sexual chemistry and the sexual tension between both partners. What I would just recommend is that, you know, when it comes to the role of service on Mr. Hanks's part, being front and center, that's always very nice. But again, making sure that it's done without an end goal and an end game in mind, because most times with Mars, there is the end game. It's actually the end game is almost expected. So like, say he's preparing dinner for Rita Wilson you know, the end game would be, hey, she should shower me with love. And she might not, you know, she might not feel that that love needs to be showered. So again, instead of expecting that end game of being showered with love, expecting what comes like maybe just again, doing that thing unconditionally. I would also say with other aspects of the sixth house with Mr. Hanks, he's definitely very organized with Mars being in that that uh, house. Um, I think he's the one who's driving the schedule, making the schedule, making sure that all events are attended, that everybody knows of that, and um, everybody knows of many updates in the household. I also think that when it comes down to health, the health is robust. I feel like the health is robust within both partners, to be honest with you. I would just say, again, with both partners, with their um, the, the two Mars placements, willing, be willing to negotiate, you know, certain aspects, such as with the kids' lunches, um, maybe with Rita Wilson not being so forthright all the time when it comes to communication and letting Mr. Hanks kind of do his thing and having that trust of letting Mr. Hanks do his thing would pro would be a good goal. 
Also, I would just say when it comes to battle of wills, which is also something else that I could see, making sure that both partners kind of have a chance have a way to back off a little bit and let the other person win every now and then. What's interesting about Rita Wilson's sixth house placement? Well, it's there are no planets in there, but it actually overlaps Mr. Hanks's ninth house placement and it's within Taurus, Taurus and actually Gemini. So Rita Wilson's idea of service would probably go nicely in line with Tom Hanks's sense of service. You know, so his sixth house is within Pisces. So he's definitely very caring and very attentive when it comes to emotional matters. With Rita Wilson, she's very attentive and and caring um, in the regard that financially everything is sound. Financially, she can provide for the family um, as, as well as really make sure that all the material comforts are provided for within the family as well. I also think that with Taurus in the sixth house, lots of love. I think, again, along with the Pisces, you know, the Pisces aspect of Mr. Hanks with Rita Wilson, lots of love is also coming from her when it comes to her family and her loved ones and lots of love in the regard of being close and being a very close ally and being a very um, close partner. With that little bit of Gemini in there, there could be a sense of communication as being of service while, um, you know, being, you know, providing financially as of service while having that loads of love is of, of service. Also communication, you know, having free and open communication and flow within the family is also very important for her. Overlapping Mr. Hanks's ninth house, I think I feel like where she is of service is that she's very supportive for when he has to travel a lot of the time. So when he has to travel to to the sets of the movies that he's working on, she's she's right there. She's really cheering him on and she's really there for him when it comes down to that aspect. So stargazers, hopefully that was insightful when it comes to that chart. I'm sorry, I I felt like that double Mars energy was very interesting. And I did not expect seeing that within Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks' chart. But I think it goes to show that even power couples have issues that they need to iron out. And I think with Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks, as I mentioned earlier, it's just that of willpower and really backing down and not always wanting to get your way all the time is big and key. So stargazers to up to this portion of what have we learned? Well, I think the biggest thing that stood out is that compassion needs to be tempered just as much as all of our vices. So whereas compassion and service are seen as great Things and ideals within our society, even the great virtues in our society need to be tempered just as much as our vices. And I feel like, unfortunately, some of the things that are held as virtues can lead to vices, such as what I had mentioned earlier about the self-martyrdom situation, where when you give service, if you expect something in return, it leads to resentment when you don't get that love and adoration that you need. And that can lead to a vice in and of itself. So I think, you know, really tempering the compassion and really, again, making sure that you're giving for your own sake, really just being unconditional in your love and in what you give is always a a great place to start there. I feel the sixth house, just as with the second house and the fourth house, again, I think with the second house and the fourth house where it's nuts and bolts, um, you know, the sixth house, that icebreaker is that of health and really whether or not somebody's there for health. I really feel like um, what, what else I've learned with the sixth house is really, it is an icebreaker sort of house. 
it really is that make or break sort of situation. I think it's the beginning of that make or break situation, particularly with the health aspect involved. You know, it's, it's kind of like what um, Erica Girardi kept mentioning in The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. It's like, hey, you really want to know who your friends are? Well, either get sick or go broke. You know, you'll know who's there. And unfortunately, the sixth house, what that points out to us is you really want to know who's there for you, have a major health issue, and you'll see, or have a health issue, and you'll see, or have a streak of bad health situations, and you'll see. So I really feel that this being a make or break situation, really know what you're looking for when it comes to your partner and what you expect from that partner and really move accordingly is what I think the sixth house really imparts to me. If you want somebody with robust health, you don't want to flirt with someone who's continually having a cold. If you want somebody who has robust health because you have an active social life and you want them to be a part of that, you know, if like you're say you're an Aries and you have an, a, ro a robust social life and you want your partner to be all in that with you, Obviously, you should not be flirting with somebody who's having a cold or obviously shouldn't be somebody who, or flirting with someone who's had a list of ailments and where they've had to go to the doctor a lot. They've had to miss certain shifts because of those ailments. Again, also conversely, you know, know if you want somebody who is very caring and compassionate, obviously you're not going to be going up to that, that someone who's bragging about their social life or bragging about like what they're doing to maintain their lives and how they're coming close to earning that Alfa Romeo car or, you know, bragging, uh, you know, kind of really obviously caring for themselves far more than they're caring for others. And I just think above all too, um, even though this house is, house is pretty self-explanatory, it just, it, it kind of yields a lot when it comes to, as I'd mentioned with service, as well as the icebreaker sort of situation. So make sure that you evaluate before you come along. So stargazers, as promised, I did want to share with you the um, idealizers chart really fast before I leave you. So as predicted, both Jupiter as well as Neptune are affected when it, when it has come down to this relationship. The idealizer in, you know, my coworker not only had Neptune in conjunction with Uranus, so really great radical ideas, but also tempered with Saturn. So probably really great, wonderful novel ideas, but he likes to think that they're rooted down into Earth. What's interesting about the Neptune position is that it actually is trined my Venus position. So that was probably why he had this very idealistic notion that I was a woman of the community. And again, slapping that sort of ideal onto me. What I think this could also explain why I wasn't just going with that ideal that I was trying to instill in, you know, trying to instill that look, you're kind of idealizing the situation. I don't think that that's, that's me at all, or that's actually not me at all. Jupiter was also in um, an afflicted situation. Actually, they're in opposition to each other. Um, my Jupiter's position is in opposition to his Jupiter's position, being in, you know, his Jupiter's position is Gemini, whereas mine is in Sagittarius. And I think, you know, again, Jupiter being that active idealizing factor, you know, he really wanted to make sure that, you know, as a, you know, within Gemini, that he was definitely talking the talk and really making those points really well salient and well heard. And instead, what I ended up hearing a lot of the time was how he was kind of bragging about his ideals, not only about work and where he wanted to go, but also just kind of how he was trying to tout himself up and most of it just sounded very self selfish as opposed to idyllic, so to speak. Again, I thought I would, you know, keep my promise and share that. I just thought that that was also very interesting.
Well, stargazers, I have come to the end of this episode. I hope that all the information imparted was very informative and very insightful for you. Again, do not be afraid to look up at the stars. The moon is actually still, she's starting to wane a little bit, but she's still really full. So you get to see that up front and center. But above all, don't be afraid to see our origins, especially when it comes to astrology. And of course, above and above all, be well. And until next time, I will see you. If you'd also like to contact Sandra Misek, you can reach her not only at her Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash 7th House Astrology, where you can also become a member, but you can also email her at misek, M-I-S-E-K, dot Sandra at gmail.com. And also find her at her Instagram page with at Sandra dot Misek.